This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard. What's good, fam? It's your host, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. Farm in ED, and I'm bringing you another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. Of course, you know I have a special episode for you guys today, and we're going to talk about something a little different, and it's going to be very unique. But before I do that, let me go ahead and let my guest introduce himself for the world. Hey everyone, how are you? It is Javaris of Winning KMD. Uh, I'm an internal medicine physician working here in uh, Oxford, Mississippi. Looking forward to talking to you guys today. Absolutely. So today we're going to have a, a, a really unique one. And you guys know how I like to do it. I want you to be able to listen to the form so hard and get a little bit of everything. So I don't want to just limit you guys to just talking strictly about the medications, but we can talk about medicine in general. And today, we're going to hit some unique things talking about disparities in medicine and why there is that and potentially they'll go into a little bit more about the distrust in medicine. So. All right, let's just jump into this. If there is like an overview of disparities in medicine, talking about stats, things of that nature, what would that be? Because I think we just introduced this topic to a lot of people. OK, so uh, that's that's a really good point to bring up. Uh, medicine is such an expansive field, but uh, let's talk about uh, physicians in general right now. So as we know, in the United States of America, there is such a uh, a lacking in the number of physicians per patient encounters, right? So there's not enough physicians out there, but there's a lot of sick patients that need help. And so in total, we'll say that there's about 55,501 doctors in the world right now. But of that 55,501, only 5.4% of those doctors are African-American. And only 3.8% of those are Hispanic. So, you know, there's not very many minority positions in the healthcare field. That's what we're speaking about when we talk about the disparity in, in uh, healthcare so far. Perfect. And just to throw this as pharmacist number, we're, we're, we're worse. So we are 4.9%. Again, it's based off 2019 data. 4.9% of the U.S. was classified as African-American. And this is actually an improvement from the 2.3% that was in 2014 and just the 2% that was then in 2009. So I think that's unique. And if we broke it down even more, we can talk about those that are uh, potentially uh, first generation Af- African-American here versus those who's been here for a while. And, and the numbers get very, very small. And I think for me, I think Af- African-American male represents like 0.9% of, of the pharmacy profession. So we, we, we didn't even meet a, meet a percentage yet, but it's, it's pretty unique <laughs> across the board. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, let's, let's talk about this a little bit more and how, like from a stats standpoint, we see these low numbers and we think that. You know, at least from a pharmacy side, we're getting better, but it's still low. And I, I categorize this similar to like the NFL, where they're talking about the Rooney Rule and, you know, how there isn't like a lot of black owners and black coaches. I think right now there's technically one black coach in the NFL when the players represent, you know, a pretty significant amount of the NFL. It's just unique when we talk about that. And I think most people and sorry if you're one of those people listening right now do not want to have this conversation and just talk about why. Why is statistics this way? Right, man. I, I think that there are so many. I think it's a multifaceted uh, situation that uh, we can look at it from a different viewpoint, uh, from many different viewpoints. But I think that one, uh, one of the main things is uh, opportunity, man. Mm-hmm. Opportunity 
is one of the most important features when we're talking about this disparity, okay? Uh, how many people out there, you know, in this listening group have a family member, you know, a brother, sister, mother, father, that's a doctor, or that's a pharmacist? And that, it's not that many, because obviously there's only 55,501 doctors in, in USA right now. So not many people are. And if we look at that breakdown of how many of those individuals are actually African-American, it's even less. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing you learn about uh, certain professions, for instance, uh, medicine and military, is it's like one that's passed down through the generation. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, my dad's dad was a sergeant. And my dad's dad, my dad is a sergeant, so I'm going to be a sergeant, mm -hmm. you know, and then it's the same thing in medicine. Hey, my dad was a doctor. My dad's dad was a doctor. So I'm going to be a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacist. Right. So if you don't have that, then you realize it's really hard to get into it. You know what they say? They say the first millions are hard to make. Why? Because you don't know how to make it. Mm -hmm. Well, the first doctor is really hard to make because it's really hard to get into it. And so, um, you know, if you don't have if you if you grew up in a, a community where one, you're not very socioeconomically blessed, right? Then uh, then there's a lot of tools that you're missing. You know, you're missing those camps that will expose you to the opportunity to become a physician or expose you to the extracurriculars that you need for your resume in order to get into mm -hmm. that program. So like, I think that there's a lot that goes into it. One, uh, there's a lot of steps that lead up to going into medicine. It's not something that spontaneously shows up and then all of a sudden you feel like you're, you're able to do it. You can't just apply. You need so many things ahead of time. And so when you don't have it, uh, that's a problem. Number two, I think it's the, uh, the longevity, the deferred gratification that comes along with the, um, you know, with the field. Medicine is not a field that you go into if you expect to make money right away, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people who are in these communities, these, these, uh, demographics that we've listed, come from situations where money is one of the most important things or it's the most prominent need for the family. So when you think about, hey, I can graduate from high school, I can go to college, graduate, and then boom, instantaneously start working and making some type of money, which is better than the money my mom and dad made, mm -hmm. but maybe it's not that great in the scheme of things, but hey, it'll get me to where I'm trying to go versus a kid that graduates from college and says, hey, I'm going to go to school for another four years and then residency after that. And then I'll make some money. You know, that's a, that's a tough spill to swallow. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that I look back through, through my career and I look at the challenges I had growing up and it's like, I didn't see people. And I think this is the thing that's pretty unique that some people say it doesn't matter. I would just personally say it matters tremendously enough for me. So the first time I seen someone that was just a doctor in general, this is Dr. Ron Fulmore. Uh, he's my he's my mentor, he's one of my best friends, and he's a chiropractor back in Orlando. Just me seeing him and being able to converse with him and realize that this wasn't a mystical figure, you know, it's it was crazy for me. And I was like, wow, I think I can do this because someone, you know, told me that I was smart enough initially to do more. So like that's all that's the the, the first thing is first like I didn't even know if I was smart enough to be even become that. I didn't know that was possible right. for me. But I had a chemistry professor say, hey. You can do this. You can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. You can be a pharmacist. You're like really good at this. Like go home and figure out what profession you're interested in. And that was the first time I was in 10th grade before I actually yeah. really felt in my heart that I can do something else. And I was like, oh, unfortunately, I grew up around drugs all my life. I grew up around, you know, gangs and things of that nature. And I grew up around people that were sick. And I was like, what's the thing that I'm good at? Math and science. What's the things that I'm familiar with? Unfortunately, drugs on both sides. 
And I'm like, what's a way for me to utilize both of those things? And I decided 10th grade, I'm going to be a pharmacist. But that helped me. But then when I saw someone that looked like me and they would have their own practice and drive a nice car and have a nice house and it'd be a generational thing because Ron, Ron was the son of, you know, we call him Ron Sr. So this was he had a uh, chiropractor practice at first and his son had as yeah. well. So just seeing that changed everything for me. And then I went on. I even talk about going into emergency medicine. Derek Clay, my mentor, he was the first pharmacist that I've seen throughout all of my my training that looked like me. He was the first black male that I saw who looked like me. And he was in emergency medicine and his unique skill set reminded me of the skill set that I had. And I said, OK, right. where'd you do your training? He said, I went to Grady. And immediately from that point on, I wanted to go to Grady for my training. And I right. did. So I think it's like right. people who underemphasize that part of people looking like you and being able to relate to you and being able to have those experiences that you've had growing up. That was huge in my career. And some people, again, it may not be big for you, but I would say personally, it changed my life. Someone first telling me that I can do those things and then me seeing it and being able to touch it, <laughs> just being able to, to, to touch the person. Like, hey, you're a real person. This is not TV. And it was really big for my career. And I think that's why I'm so big on mentorship. And I'm so big on just providing anything I can to help people, because just the fact of me just being here and being myself helps me helps other people realize that they don't have to portray a certain personality. Uh, one of the things that we see a lot is in people are in school, you have to wear a face. You have to you have to put on your face when you go to school because you don't want people to see the blackness in you. You don't want people to see that that component where you grew up a little different. And I think now more and more we're starting to see how that doesn't matter when it comes to actually taking care of people. And the confidence I have now is built off of the fact that I knew someone who told me that I can do it. I saw someone and it really led to me to be where I am now. So any success people think that I have is solely due to me being around those other people and me actually right. saying like, I, I can probably do this. So that's, that's my story when it comes to this, because it's something that's always on my heart. Man, I, I, I echo that and applaud those people who did that, because uh, what I will say is you you mentioned something. Uh, you mentioned that uh, going to the physician or going to your chiropractor and seeing that they're not a mystical figure uh, was the most important part. Think about this. Think about how many people are here in the United States of America and then take that and juxtapose that with who are below the poverty line or at the poverty line. You know what I mean? And then take that demographic of people who represent that 5.4% in medicine and how many of them came from that situation, right? So the reason I say to think about that visual right there is to think about how many people don't have healthcare who only see a doctor when something has gone terribly wrong. They broke their arm or they got hurt. Other than that, yearly visits, they don't see them, right? So when you see this person, this stranger, they are a mystical figure, just an all-seeing, all-knowing human that's there, right? That's one thing. Next thing is a lot of people go to schools in the same exact neighborhood, you know, which is falling below this line, right? So then they also can't afford certain types of teachers, Mm -hmm. right, who are barely getting by with the materials that they're giving and they're exhausting themselves to try to do what they're doing. So then that extra bit of energy that would be used to motivate that child to be what they want to be, they just might not have it. You know what I mean? And so some people may make it all the way through high school and never hear those words that you heard, Mm -hmm. you know? And so these things are also attributing to that, that disparity. Next, what you said was 
I saw people driving nice cars, wearing nice clothes, and being able to do what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in this country that we live in, people uh, idolize basketball players and they idolize artists, you know, rappers and singers and things like that, right? But they don't do the same thing for physicians, mm-hmm. okay? And so, you know, I think that it's super important. Like a lot of people have a problem with people who are flashy, but I honestly believe it is a really good thing. And I'll tell you why. When a kid sees you, your doctor, wearing the Jordans, right, yep. with your scrubs on and looking nice and like, man, I see you, man. Yo, you, you're wearing this and, and X, Y, and Z and all these different types of things. Then they ask you questions like, how can you do that? Or what do you do? Or how are you wearing this? And then you can say, hey, man, I'm a doctor, man. I went to school. I did this, 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 and this, and this. I don't have a problem telling you what I make. You know what I mean? And this is the lifestyle that you can do. And you can do it. It's not necessarily bit that you have to be super smart. I think getting into medicine is about dedication, yeah. having tenacity to finish. And so when someone is not around to tell you that kind of thing, when you don't have that mentor that's there pushing you along the way, helping keep you in the, in the, in the street, you know what I mean? Um, I think that, you know, you, you miss the opportunity to be told that, hey, man, as long as you stay dedicated, if you work hard, you can make it, man. I don't think I'm the <laughs> brightest cookie in the, the, the brightest light in the, in, the, in, the, in the box, you know what I mean? But I can tell you what, I will be there before you get there. Yep. I'll be there after you leave. And that's the way I made it through all of my training, man. And then eventually through time and practice repetition and patterns, you will become very smart and you will be able to do what you need to do. Yeah. You know, so that, that's a big thing. And, I, and I, I try to put on this show and anyone who's listened to me over the last few years is that I try to bring people on who are smarter than me because I believe most people are smarter than me. But if I can ever say anything is that I enjoy the process of creation because the one thing that someone did for me is let me know that my thoughts are not burdensome. My thoughts are not worthless. My thoughts are not just another thing. Just that motivation to tell me to do so helps me. So there's been days people, my first podcast episode, it took me 16 hours to edit 16 hours. And I just, I just That's did a long it time <laughs> for one episode. Um, again, so I don't think I'm the, the, the smartest person in the world, but I think that the way I was brought up, the one thing that you had to have was just dedication and hard work or you wouldn't survive. So it's a little different now in this position where, you know, I, I joke around. I tell people I, I hustle at podcasting. I hustle at this like the people who I saw hustle on the corner. I right. hustle that way. And, you know, that's what I know. That's how I was brought up. Those are things that I saw. I have I have more. I have more family members and I have more friends from my childhood that's on a corner doing different type of things than I do people who was in this field. So I try to like marry the the hustle of one and the spirit of one, because it's all this. It's all the same thing. It's it's a spirit of being able to work as hard as you can, build your skill and be able to impact your impact your family in a positive way. Because people are not in the corner because it's cool. People aren't on, on, on a corner because they're trying to take care of their family. And I'm just trying to take right. care of my family and be able to help people take care of their families longer through medicine. Right. So that's, I think right. it's, it's unique. And I think most people don't hear this story. And most people probably in a podcast haven't heard my story when it comes to that, because it's just something that unfortunately most people don't want to hear. They want to get to the medicine. They want to talk about things that don't make them as things that make them a little, a little more comfortable. So we hit like right. our stories and how that impact people from a, from a provider standpoint, 
how does this disparities in medicine, how, how does it actually impact the patient? Because I've heard some things and I'm pretty sure you've heard some things. And this is going to be for anyone. Again, we're, we're African-Americans, so we can discuss this. But I think this can, this can impact whether you're a woman, whether you're Latino, whether you're from Europe, whether you're from Asia. These things really impact you in a similar manner, because when a patient looks like you and you're able to come in and talk to them, I always notice people's eyes light up a different way. Man, uh, you bring up a very, very uh, important thing that I don't think I realized until I got to where I'm at now, which is Mississippi. Um, so I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Uh, I did most of my training in uh, Chicago, and then I came over here to uh, Mississippi. And so when I was in Charlotte, I grew up in a very diverse metropolitan area where there's so many different types of people from all different types of places. First, second, third generation, New York, obviously the melting pot of the world, and then Chicago, the same thing. But when I came here to Mississippi, man, um, I think this is when it kind of hit home. Uh, Mississippi has a really uh, big disparity in just healthcare in general. One, because it's rural. Okay. Yeah. So there's not many healthcare providers per the per capita density that's here. Uh, and most people don't go to the hospital unless they're having a heart attack. Just simple as that. Right. And so I remember I walked into the hospital and I walked into a patient room for the first time. And the person said, are you a doctor? I said, I am a doctor. And they were like, I've never seen a black doctor ever. And they cried. Oh, wow. Grown man, right? So I never thought I'd see the day. So I say that story to say this. When it comes to your patient, uh, a lot of times, more specifically for your older generation, right? If the patient doesn't feel like you can understand where they're coming from, they don't think that you identify or you can empathize with their plight at that situ situation, then you will struggle. Yeah. You'll struggle with your patient for a couple of reasons. One, in order for someone to give you information, they have to trust you. If you can't receive information from a patient or you can't get history, then you can't get a full picture. You know, yeah. as a physician, what do we do? We are sleuths. We work backwards. We see a problem and we have to figure out the things that have occurred and form a full picture in order for us to determine where we're going to go next. Right. And so uh, if I can't establish a connection with my patient, then it's not going to work. So a lot of times the reason I feel like uh, disparity in medicine is a big thing is for instance, black women are, are typically a demographic of individuals who are underdiagnosed when it comes to heart attacks, when it comes to pain, when it comes to fibromyalgia, things like that. I think that's important and I think that's there because they don't have other black women who are physicians who are able to say, hey, this is, this is I can understand what you're saying or I, I hear you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And why is that? Well, one, because only 48% of doctors are females, right? True. But of that 48%, only 2.8% of those people are black females, yeah. right? And so- if you have not experienced what that person has experienced, then that person doesn't empathize with you the way you want them to. And then you don't feel safe to tell them what you feel, mm -hmm. or you feel like they're not going to understand. So you leave out certain intricate details and then boom, a diagnosis gets, you know, left eye. And then you have an adverse reaction that happens. And this is where that scenario comes to a head. This is why the disparity in medicine is very important. The more faces that look like you, 
that can talk to you. This can apply, this can be applicable to Latin Americans. I happen to speak Spanish 100% fluently, right? But I'm a black man. When I go in and I see my patients that are also Latinos, right? Well, at first they're just like, ah, man, this guy's not really gonna understand me. But then when I open my mouth and I start talking to them in their own language and they're able to express to me what they're feeling, oh my God, all of a sudden everything has changed and diagnosis that they had before I realized really shouldn't have been there yep. or things that they're taking right now are really probably just medication side effects, you know, and able to express themselves. It's important to see yourself or have comfortability or diversity in medicine. It's necessary. Absolutely. And I, I, I just want to just double down on that because this is, it's happening everywhere. I chose emergency medicine because I know if there's one place that people are going to go to look like me, unfortunately it's going to be the, the ER and <laughs> I want to be a person that's there because most of the team, again, I work at, again, a large, two places I work are a large level one trauma center. So you're going to have a ton of surgeons. You're going to have a ton of people and they're going to have their own, you know, demographic, what they look like as well. When I've had, a, I had a patient not too long ago, came in, it was, it was a gunshot wound. He was saying, oh, I'm not hurting. I'm not hurting. You know, initially his, his, his fast exam was negative, but I came and talked to him. And when I talk to my patients, I meet them where they're at. I was like, when I, because sometimes where you come to someone and they don't speak like you, yes, sir, no, sir, all these different things. They just say, no, 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 I'm not in pain. And I went up to the guy and said, I said, bro, you good? He like looked over. He was like, <laughs> just, some, just something as simple as saying like, bro, are you good? Like, yeah. He said, nah, man, it's, it's something to like hurt a little bit more. I was like, where? He was like, right over here. I was like, you just, just like, you can, you, you can holler at me. He was like, he sat up and started telling me what's going on. They didn't. They actually didn't image that side. I said, man, I'm going to talk to the team. We're going to get this figured out, but they're going to have to come back and look at you. But I want you to bear with me for an hour or so and we can get you taken care of. I was like, what are you concerned about? He was like, man, I was doing something and wow. I'm scared someone's going to, you know, pop up on me. I said, you know, just just something as simple as, right. hey, you're un- you're not under your name. Oh, I'm not. So they can't call and find where I'm at. I said, no. They go back, re-image this guy. He had some issues going over there. We got we got the CT exam kind of find out he had an internal bleeding that wasn't initially spotted because initially right. the this hurt. No, 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 no. On the exam, you just say no, 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 because you don't feel like people yeah. really understand you. And I'm like, are you in pain? Like, yes. I said, do you want pain medication? He said, yeah, but I'm not trying to be addicted. I said, well, that's not necessarily the case. And it's like just being able to converse with yeah. someone in their language. And some people may yeah. not. Some people may listen to this and say. Jimmy, you should only speak professional to your patients. That's just not who I am. <laughs> and that's not, right. again, as you've been listening for, for years, you know I don't I do not do that. But for me, I would rather someone come in and if, if you're a fluent speaking person and you want to converse in a certain way, I'll match you. But if you are from the same neighborhoods I grew up in and it's better for me to call you brother and sir, that's what I'm going to do. Because that man, builds that trust and being able to extract information that may be key that a team of people who are much more qualified than me miss solely due to the communication with the patient. And that's why I think that all of us should work together because I can help them identify something, but they still have to fix it. Then that's not, that's not my role. I can help them just from a communication standpoint and go from there. So I, I say all this to say, it doesn't really matter. I'm not saying that people can't extract information out of people, but I will say that patients feel more comfortable communicating with you. If you if you have more things in common, 
And that's where I think that is having a diverse team together helps out quite a bit. I'm not saying that we should have no people. If you're if you're not if you're not black, you shouldn't take care of black patients. That's not necessarily the case. I think that right. if there's a team around, and there's a certain a communication barrier. And if, if just seeing someone, I'm telling you, just seeing someone can change how we communicate. And that communication, honestly, is the key thing in gathering information to make the most accurate diagnosis. And for me, being able to give them the most important medication that can help them once you guys get the diagnosis. So it's, it's really a big thing for me. And that's why I love the ER. I just walk with the patient and say, hey, man, what you what, what are you worried about? This is going right. to how it's going to work out for a second. You know, unfortunately, right. they have to do a rectal exam. This is why we're doing it. He's like, instead of just, right. hey, finger here, you know, just being yep. able to talk to people through things. It's like, okay, I understand what's going on. I got shot in my stomach, so they got to check for blood. Okay. Right. So right. That's, that's a big Jimmy, thing. You make, you, make a, you make a very good point, man. Um, you know what? There's something that you said. Uh, you mentioned that sometimes you might just say, bro, I personally believe that the art of history taking, because I believe it's an art, mm-hmm. right? There's so many people out here in this world, right, who are really good diagnosticians. Mm-hmm. They can diagnose things when they have lab values and things like that. But the art of communication is something that is not bestowed upon all of us, mm-hmm. okay? And that's what you learn inside this field, mm-hmm. all right? For me, I am very semi-formal with my, my, my patients. I, I, I'm never really, Hey, sir. I'm, Hey, what would you like me to call you? You know? And I, and I talk to them, Hey man, so how's it going? How's your day going? Blah, 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 blah. We laugh, whatever we need to do. You know what I mean? Because for me, it's the art of history taking. If I can't communicate with you in the way that you need, Mm -hmm. then it's not going to work. Second thing is, I think that the whole ideology behind professionalism is skewed semi. Mm-hmm. And that's primarily because of the vernacular that is used amongst each demographic of individual in this world, right? African Americans have a certain demogra- a certain vernacular that they use when they talk. And they can be professional, but there's a swagger that's along associated mm-hmm. with it. Same thing, you know, with Latin Americans, same thing with Asian Americans. When they speak amongst themselves, you can be professional, but there's a certain vernacular that you use. And I think that the reason it's deemed unprofessional when you speak, quote unquote, like an African-American is because there is not enough African-Americans in medicine Mm -hmm. for people to say, Oh, that's just, that's just his style Mm -hmm. of communication. The same way someone from New York can have a conversation with someone from New York and you're like, Hey, that guy's talking professional, but he has a swagger to it Mm -hmm. because of the way or where he's from. Right. I think that, um, you know, your communication with that guy that you gave us in that example was just simply you communicating with him in a fashion that made him most comfortable. Yep. You know what I mean? And I think that the more individuals that are out there that, that, that obtain that ability or that are able to do that, the better off patients will be, man. Period. Point blank. Yeah, Look what you true. were able to retrieve. And it's just little things like that. I'm not saying that I saved this guy's life or whatever, but it helps. It helped the team get the information they needed at that time. They may have found it later, but that the result may have been a little different. I, I just right. want people to realize that sometimes you have to meet patients where, where they're at. And for me, I look at it now as that I grew up in a certain environment that allowed me to speak, to, learn information and learn the slang, learn, learn the vernacular of that demographic. And so when it comes in and I, I always make the joke where you don't have to get the 
you know, the translation tool. You don't have to, we have an iPad where you go in and you say, oh, you speak, uh, you speak Spanish or you speak, you know, Japanese, you speak that. Like, oh, Jimmy, you know, when it's patient here, you know, you don't have to pull that out. <laughs> I, 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 I got that and I'm able to try to translate the yeah. information. And I think, you know, people listen to this. We, we always talk about code switching and it's like you have to be able to do what you have to do to get the information and then switch that information over to your team so it can be documented and charted and things of that nature. So it's it's a unique thing that I think African-Americans, we we commonly do and we talk about a good bit that most other cultures don't talk as much about. But you have to be able to code switch to be able to either communicate with your patients that either don't you know want to communicate in a, in a more, you know, in, in more slang or patients who just don't understand what you're trying to say. So, again, I think it's key. Right across the board to be able to, you actually speak different languages. I like to say I speak different dialects within, within English. <laughs> and you, you, you can do it too. I'm not as blessed to speak Spanish or, you know, many other languages. But I think one of the things I want to kind of pivot towards is we talk about the impact of having a stare, but I think I want to go back and just touch on why there is like a distrust. Like what is the distrust within medicine? As we, we can speak more so to the people that, you know, are African-Americans, but there is a distrust in medicine. I think COVID has really brought this out, but I think this has only been highlighted amongst the masses. I think there's been a distrust in, in medicine amongst African-Americans in America for a while. So we should just kind of dive down that. And what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, just history in general, but, uh, you know, being in a STEM major, you learn a lot about medicine history. And so, you know, as far as African-Americans distrust and, and, and medicine or the healthcare in general, it's, it's primarily due to lots of things that have occurred incidentally in the very checkered past of medicine. Yeah. Uh, one of those being the Tuskegee syphilis uh, study, the Henrietta Lacks situation, you know what I mean? But gen- if we talk about just generally for the general population of medicine, I mean, for a long time, <laughs> medicine wasn't, a doctor wasn't who you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A doctor, you go in with a cough, you come out missing a leg. Yep. You know, you go, you go, they were in Europe at one point in time, they were taking the homeless people off the street and they were using them for anatomy. You know what I mean? So like uh, they were doing the same thing in, in uh, Egypt at one point in time, you know? So like in order for us to get to where we are right now, you know, there were so many things that have occurred in the past at the detriment of, of our patient population. And so I think that it's something that we have to recognize, we have to own up to, and we have to uh, actively change. You know, I think that, like you said, man, um, COVID specifically has been a very huge uh, yellow highlighter in the face of medicine. Uh, you know, we had Dr. Fauci up there spitting facts at us, but I think really the issue a quick moving thing. Mm-hmm. It's something that, that is fluid. So it's forever changing. You know, it's just like water, you know, you put obstacles in front of it, it finds its way around it at some point in time. But the thing is in society, when we bring facts about medicine to it, we tend to have those facts very solidified. When it came to COVID, something that was actually brand new to our society, right? With so much media coverage, things change so quickly. You know, and so people started taking those changes as if they were 
they were unsureties mm -hmm. in science. And then in the part, I guess they were because we hadn't had enough time to research it and yeah. find all the information out, you know, but at the same time, people don't understand that drug trials, right? You have a trial that you, you start, you know, in your phase one, your phase two, your phase three, your phase four, these are different things that are happening at all periods in time. By the time it hits the market, you know, we, how many times have we tested this situation to know that it's going to work out? And then even when it's on the market, we may send it back mm -hmm. and we start noticing that it's having long-term effects, but people don't pay attention to that. And it's not really publicized like that. I think that politicization, uh, the politicization of uh, medicine of recent times is really why there's a new propagation of uh, distrust in medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, people are, are opportunists. They're, they're using that uh, the uh, publicity that they receive, you know, um, from certain things, you know, and, and the blasting medicine with it. And so, um, but there's a lot of things in our history, man, uh, just in general that I think are attributing to that, to that distrust. And I think that it's a forever um, wound that needs to be healed. Absolutely. I think the vaccine and just COVID in general has been a where most people bring me in. I speak on two panels this year, solely talking about dis distrust in the vaccine and things of that nature. And I, I think one of, one of the things I've noticed is that you, again, meeting people where they're at, where they are. And I tell people, okay, this is what you said. It was created too fast. All right, let's just sit down. I'm gonna pull up my phone and I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna see was there ever a vaccine created in this time frame, And we can go through it together. Like, cause a lot of times what people do is that they don't, Everyone searches for the thing that confirms their own bias. And I try to be as you know objective as possible when I'm when I'm speaking with individuals about these type of things. And I say, I understand why you're you feel this way. Like I don't trust, and I say I don't trust every a hundred percent of everything that comes out. I don't. I said, but this is what I do when I when I feel uncomfortable about something. I look at the data that's in front of me and I make my own decision. And this is how I look look that information up. I don't type in COVID vaccine causes causes these things. COVID vaccine made too fast. If you Google that, you're gonna find things that in, in, in Google and result what you want. You're gonna confirm your own bias. And you just start asking questions and write them down and figure out can you answer those questions? I did a podcast about uh in the end of 2020 going through my questions about the, the initial vaccine rollout. And I said I had questions, and I think most people had questions, but what happened with with medicine at this point was it became political. And I think that was the worst thing that could ever happen with, with the medicine in general, because then you already don't trust the political system. You already don't trust the right. government system. Then you marry that to you, you marry that to medicine. That was the worst thing. I, I believe it put it put us back some years across the board. But yeah, man. what we can do to win people back is really just meeting people where they are, having, you know, real conversations, having conversations with people and giving them information and just saying, hey, if you don't believe in this, you don't believe in that. What do you believe in? Okay, if you don't want to take this medication, okay, I understand that. But what about exercise? Okay, you do? Well, let's focus on that first. And then we can see where yeah. you can get from there. Because again, most of the guidelines at, at first, things like diabetes, hypertension, all the things that are the, the silent killers of the world, the first thing that every guideline recommends is going to be lifestyle modification. Period. And I think if we meet people, where, where do you want to, to meet me? Because I'm willing to meet you. And I think that change in how we talk to patients, how we inter interact with patients, I think will change the, the trust that they have amongst us. And I think that over a period of time, you know, five, 10 years from now, if we just change the, the, the whole process, I think we'll be in a better position. But right now we, ha we have a battle when it comes to things as simple as COVID. Um, 
because we've made it so political. And I hate that we we did that. And some people may get mad at me for saying that it's political because they're political, but I, I really don't care. It's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'll tell you this, man. I think that um, things that can be done in order to to ramify this um, this distrust, one, uh, kind of just pulling everything together in general yeah. is one, uh, mitigating those uh, disparities that are there. Uh, I think a lot of distrust comes from receiving information from someone who's never been through your situation. Mm-hmm. So when you talk to an individual that looks like you, that's, that has the same, you know, situations that you have technically, genetically, you know what I mean? Predispositions to certain situations, right? And that person saying, hey, this is what I do, right? And this is how I've been able to live a healthy life. I suggest that you do the same thing. And then transparency. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, medicine is something that requires absolute transparency, you know, and, but with that transparency, goal directed care. Mm-hmm. So the funny thing about the general population is uh, people will distrust uh, medicine or vaccines, right? But then they will ask for a pill to lose weight rather than changing their lifestyle modifications. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what is your goal? Yeah. Because if I know what your goal is, then I can be transparent about the process, the risks and the rewards that are possible from it. And then I can educate you on it. So transparency goals and education, as well as mitigation of all of the other uh, disparities are something that will help us. I'll give you an example. Right. So let's say that we have an individual. I'll give you a typical individual here in Mississippi. I don't want the vaccine. Right. Cool. Why? Why don't you want the vaccine? I asked them this question, why don't you want it? Not to change their idea, but to get the opportunity to give education on a scenario, right? And a lot of times what I find out is that when you give education on it, maybe it might not change it, but it will eliminate a lot of thoughts that were there before, right? And then it will leave somebody open to make it a better, more informed decision because that's all we want, an informed decision. And then after that, I'm able to be transparent about what can happen and what can't happen, right? What it can and can't do. And then after that, I'm able to figure out what your goal is. Hey, my goal is to stay healthy. Cool. So your goal is to stay healthy. You don't want to take the vaccine. That's fine. But what can we do, education, to mitigate the risk of you actually acquiring it? Let's mm-hmm. let's handle some of your chronic conditions first. You have a COPD and all this kind of stuff. Let's Let's figure out what we can do to maintain that prevent exacerbations, your heart conditions. Let's go ahead and take care of that. Let's get you exercising and let's work on your lifestyle modifications and let's do everything we can to stratify your risk and figure out how to eliminate it. Mm -hmm. All right. That way, your goal of not taking a vaccine will still put you in a place where you are very taken care of. Yeah, I think is is key, which which you're said is just figuring out. What are your goals? Everyone has their own goals. And I think you mentioning that, I think if everyone just did that across the board for each disease state and each intervention, we'll be in a much better place. And I think overall, patients would trust us and we can just have a system where, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm your medical consultant. I'm here. Your, I'm your consultant to help you take better care of yourself. I have different tools to help you do that. Then it becomes less about the patient being your your subject versus you being someone to help them do something they want to do and improve their health, because that's what it's all about, to be honest, at the end of the day. At the end of the day. Yeah. At the end of the day, man. So we covered quite a bit here. We talked about disparities. Just talking about, again, why 
uh, just the impact of these experiences and then the distrust in medicine across the board. And I think we laid out a pretty solid foundation of the things that we can do as a healthcare uh, team and just as a system to better help our patients. I think if you're listening to this and you're not within healthcare and you're you're just a patient, I think just being open and having a conversation and mention to your to your to your your healthcare team like this is my goal. How can you help me get there? And just starting that conversation and seeing if you can find someone who wants to listen and and can help you get there. And you may have to see multiple people. You may have to do different things because the system is not set up for that right now. But I think that the great thing is that we can continue to follow these trends. Medicine is getting more diverse. Medicine is getting more inclusive. Medicine, the model is changing to a more patient care uh, centered model. So I think that we're headed in the right direction. And I'm hoping that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be part of that. And I'm happy to be part of it with you as well. So uh, that's all yeah. I had. What's your closing closing thoughts for this episode? Man, I think this is a great uh, a great episode, man. I think we've talked about things that are very important, uh, very unspoken areas of medicine mm-hmm. because uh, medicine doesn't like to air its dirty laundry, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, uh, I think that uh, that was very important. I think that you know, as we've spoken about, uh, most important thing when you're looking for a healthcare provider is to look for someone that one. Uh, you feel like can empathize with you to someone who's transparent, someone who takes your goals and prioritizes those things and someone who's willing to educate. So at the end of the day, as a medical provider, your goal is to educate the, the population to help them make informed decisions on what they want to do. That's all I got for you, man. Perfect. Perfect. All right, guys, we're going to close us out here and just a, a few quick things. Again, this is going to air before the conference. So if you haven't checked out, if you work within emergency medicine or interested in emergency medicine, doctor, nurse, EMS, anyone who just have an interest, we're hosting the first ever international emergency medicine pharmacotherapy conference. We're going to talk about things like TPA and cardiac arrest. We're going to talk about RSI drugs. We're going to talk about all the things that you need to know when it comes to being a better uh, user of medications to take care of acute acute care patients. And this is all going to be at the Empower Rx conference. Again, you can go register for it at EmpowerRx slash conference dot com. It's going to be in the show notes and all for all of my websites. So you can't miss it across the board. It's going to be in my banner up top. Uh, And if you have any questions about it, please just email me. Uh, again, any contact out there again on Twitter, I'm farmd underscore in the ED, and you can definitely reach out to me there. Um, that's really my, my big things. Uh, where can the people find you to consume any more of your great information? Oh man, you guys can find me at the real doctor, uh, underscore OG. That's my Instagram. And that's the best place to contact me. I'm re- currently working on my website and I'll drop it on there too. Perfect. All right, guys, you know how we close out. You know, you don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to work in the ED. But everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Closes it. Ozzy scratches his head. Whatever she's looking for, it isn't in there.